Good morning. Welcome to the services. We appreciate your presence very much. So this morning we're going to be talking about Thomas. Again, one of the 12 apostles. We've talked about several of them already. Thomas has a legacy. Thomas left behind Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Actually, I met Michael. Michael talked about a legacy last week, right? And what do you leave behind? We're going to talk a little bit about that this afternoon, Lord willing, in an application. But Thomas left behind something, right? Everybody traditionally calls him Doubting Thomas. And I wonder sometimes why why the Lord allowed that to happen. And I think the Lord allowed that to happen so we could talk about Thomas this morning. And so that we could focus on doubt this morning. Because I think doubt is something that's very natural for us to have. And we'll talk a little bit about that as we go through. In uh, Zechariah it says, But other people will say, Then what are these wounds in thy hands? He will say, I was beaten in the house of my friends. So a lot of the doubt this morning surrounds the scars that were in the hands of Jesus as he was beaten in the house of his friends. His friends obviously being his race, his kinsmen, his family, the Israel nation that he came to save that ultimately crucified him and put those nails in his hands. And we'll talk about that some this morning. So as we introduce Thomas, Thomas is first introduced to us in Mark chapter 6 and in Matthew chapter 10. So if you'll, uh, we're not going to read those particular uh, passages, but you might want to get your Bibles handy this morning because uncharacteristically, I didn't put all the scriptures on the screen. You're going to have to let your fingers do the walking this morning. But in Matthew chapter uh, 10 and in Mark chapter 6, we have the list of the apostles In Mark chapter 6, it tells us that Jesus sends these apostles out two by two. And he sends them out to cast out demons and to heal the sick and to preach. And then in Matthew uh, chapter 10, it gives us the list of those apostles. And that's kind of the first time we're introduced to Thomas. He's introduced in a list of 12 apostles there in Matthew chapter 10. And then we go on, we see over in John chapter 11. If you'll turn over to John chapter 11, we're going to read a... uh, a couple of stories in John. So we're going to talk, read in chapter 11 and then in 14 and then in chapter 20. <clears throat> John just talks more about Thomas, I think, than any of the rest of the, uh, the apostles do or any of the rest of the writers in the New Testament do. So in uh, chapter 11, and we're going to begin with verse 11, it says, These things said he, and after, he, after that he saith unto them, Our friend Lazarus sleepeth, but I go that I may wake him out of sleep. Then said his disciples, Lord, if he sleeps, he shall do well. Howbeit Jesus spake of his death, but they thought that he had spoken of taking of rest in sleep. Then Jesus said unto them plainly, Lazarus is dead. And I am glad for your sake that I was not there. To the intent ye may believe, nevertheless, let us go unto him. Now listen to Thomas in verse number 16. Then Thomas said, which is called Didymus, Didymus means twin, unto his fellow disciples, let us go that we may die with him. So Jesus had just been uh, threatened to be stoned and he had left Judea. And he had gone a little ways, and he was preaching, and he had sent the, uh, or he's going to send the, the, the 12 off. And, and uh, Lazarus has died, and so he's going to have to go back where they had threatened to stone him. 
And Thomas, and again, you'll see this out of Thomas in his kind of doubting nature, or maybe sarcastic nature here, says, well, let us go back with him that we may die also. I don't think he's referring to Lazarus. I think he's referring to this this possible attempt to be stoned to death with Jesus. And so he's, he's doubting already what's going on. He's at least being sarcastic about the situation. Now turn over to chapter 14. Chapter 14, let me keep up with what's going on on the screen. <clears throat> chapter 14, in, uh, beginning in verse 1. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there ye may be also. And whither I go, ye know, and the way ye know. Now listen to Thomas. Thomas saith unto him, Lord, we know not whither thou goest. And how can we know the way? And Jesus answered and said unto him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. So Jesus is talking about going and preparing this place. And Thomas is like, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know the way. I don't know where you're going. I don't know what's going on. Again, from, a, I think, a doubting perspective, it's like, hey, what's going on? What, what are you expecting us to do? Where are you going? What do we, he, doesn't, he just doesn't quite get it yet. We'll talk a little bit more about this. Look over at the famous story that get, gives him his name in John chapter 20. <clears throat> John chapter 20 and beginning in verse number 24. But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, Didymus again meaning a twin, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them then came jesus the doors being shut and stood in the midst and said peace be unto you that's actually with an exclamation point in some versions then said he to thomas reach hither thy finger and behold my hands and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless but believing and thomas answered and said unto him my lord and my God. Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. So Jesus uh, says a blessing on all of you that are here this morning. Because you've not seen Jesus, yet you're here as a believer. And he says, blessed are those folks that have not seen me, but that believe in me. So we know the story, right? The ten apostles were gathered together. Thomas wasn't there. Judas has already committed suicide. Jesus appears to them. And they're like, oh, he's been resurrected. So 
Thomas gets this doubting thing laid at his feet, but I'll tell you that the other ten were no more sure of what was going on before Jesus appeared to them than Thomas was. In fact, some had gone fishing, some had gone back to their jobs, they had scattered, but they were back together, and Jesus appeared to them, and then all of a sudden, they were these faithful people, and Thomas was the doubter, as history reveals it to us, but in the essence, they were all doubters until they saw Jesus. And then Thomas, uh, then they're gathered eight days later, Thomas is with them, and Jesus comes again. Thomas sees him this time. He doesn't need to put his fingers in the in the holes. You notice that? It doesn't say when he said come hither that Thomas went over and expected expect inspected Jesus. He did, he didn't need to do that. He was a, being a little exaggerating the first time when he said unless he put his fingers in the holes or the holes wherever the holes were. He didn't need to. He recognized Jesus. He said my Lord and my God. So Thomas's doubts were cured just like that. Cured with eyesight knowledge, which is no longer faith, right? Now you don't have to believe in faith. That's eyesight knowledge. So let's talk about <clears throat> let's talk about doubt a little bit this morning. And um, there's, I hope y'all don't fall asleep. But there's a lot of stuff about doubt, and I've got a lot of stuff here, and, and I even have an application already for this afternoon because I cut some stuff out and put it in this afternoon. So. Wake up, everybody, especially those that traveled all night. Um, doubt. So, doubt is really, um, there's some misconceptions about doubt. I'll go through those with you real quick. The first one is that doubt is the opposite of faith. I don't believe that. Um, some people say, well, if you doubt, you don't have faith. I don't, I don't think that. I think there's a difference. Hebrews 1 and 11 and 1 says that faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So faith is believing in something that you haven't seen or experienced. Think about doubt as an, a tool that operates on your faith, much like this grinding stone up there. If you use doubt the right way, it'll sharpen a sword so sharp it'll cut through a two-by-four. If you use doubt in the wrong way, it'll dull your sword to the point that you can't cut anything. It'll be as dull as that sharpening stone. Doubt can work for you and it can work against you. Because doubt can motivate you to overcome it and therefore you're stronger. Your faith is stronger. Or doubt can get you in such despair that you begin to question whether you believe or not. It can dull your faith to the point that you don't believe at all. But it is not the opposite. It can be a, something that works for you. It can be uh, something, um, the opposite of faith is not believing, not doubt. Second misconception is doubt is unforgivable. That's not true at all. And we see, so remember Job. I mean, the whole book of Job is about Job and his doubt and his buddies talking about the doubt and going back and forth and back and forth. Now, Job overcame it all and was stronger when it was all said and done. But there was some doubt there. Remember, David, if you haven't read the 13th Psalm, read the 13th Psalm. It starts off like this. To the chief musician, a Psalm of David. How long will thou forget me, O Lord? How long wilt thou hide thy face from me? David was in a cave, fleeing from his enemies dark despair. It's like, Lord, I don't, I don't even see you. I don't feel you anymore. 
You're hiding your face from me. This is the same David that picked up a few stones and killed the biggest, baddest monster on the face of the planet. Right? So doubt can work against us and it can work for us. But David was saved. God is big enough to handle our doubts. He's big enough to handle us questioning him if we do it in the right way. And we'll talk about that in just a moment. We'll show an example. <clears throat> Some people say that struggling with doubt means that we lack faith. Again, I don't think that is true. I think that's what builds our faith. I think that's what makes us stronger. I think if you don't struggle, then you don't have any faith. If you don't have any doubts, you don't have any faith. You don't have anything that's working, working for or against so that's a picture of a smelter. I want you to think about I want you to think about this concept of doubt at three different levels. I want you to think about you're going to build a sword, right? We just talked about the sword and sharpening the sword. The first thing you got to do is you start with some iron ore. And that iron ore's got impurities in it, and so you put it in the smelter and you scrape off the impurities and you form a solid ingot that you can work with, that you can build something out of. And the first thing <clears throat> that you've got to get past is what I call intellectual doubt. This usually happens outside the church. Not many people in the church have intellectual doubt anymore because intellectual doubt talks about is there a God? Is Christ the Son of God? Is there a res- is the resurrection real? What about this Da Vinci Code, right? Somebody reads a book and it just spirals them down some path that, you know, they can't handle. So this first deal is let's scrape off in all the impurities and let's get some iron that we can work with, that we can build this sword out of. And that's the intellectual part. If you've got intellectual doubts, there are several great books out there um, I, can, I can recommend. I can't do it off the top of my head, but um, there are several. I've read them. They're, they're great books. There's all kinds of evidences that God is who he says he is. In fact, Romans chapter 1 tells us that the creation itself, if you're open-minded enough, the creation of itself, the creation itself says there is a God. <clears throat> the second um, area of doubt, or the second part, is uh, what I've called spiritual doubt. And these are the things like, am I a true Christian? Do I believe? Is my baptism sufficient? Do I feel guilty? Is, does prayer really work? So that's things in our spiritual life that we may have doubts about, right? So we've got an iron piece of iron, and we're putting it in the we're putting it in the fire, and we're starting to hammer out this sword. But there's things we got to work on. There's things in our lives. There's you know there's there's things in our spiritual thinking that we've got to work on. The third area is circumstantial doubt, and um, the intersection of biblical faith and living in a fallen world. So this is the tough one. This is, um, you know, where uh, in military terms, they say the, uh, in, the enemy gets a vote. That no matter what your military campaign looks like, no matter how well you've laid it out, the enemy gets a vote. And so the very first step you take, the enemy's going to do something you didn't expect, and then if your plan blows up, you didn't have a very good plan. Well, this is exactly that. This is where your faith starts, the rubber meets the road, right? And it's things like, why did my child die too early? Or why did my wife die? Or why did somebody that I love die? Why did my marriage break up? Why was I abused? Or why can't I find a spouse? Or any number of things that go on in our lives 
that cause us to doubt. And if you put all of these on a continuum, I like graphs and charts. So if you put all these on a continuum and you say, hey, I've got kind of three levels of doubt here. And we got a baseline that's, say, 75. I just picked an arbitrary number. And then things start happening to us, and they affect all three areas. Hear a good sermon. Boom. Man, intellectually, I'm, I'm sound. Spiritually, I'm great. And I'm here with my brothers and sisters in Christ, so the world's out there. Circumstances are great. Everything's awesome. Somebody passes away unexpectedly that we didn't expect. All of a sudden, we start questioning things, right? We're like, man, how could God do that? How could God allow that? How could So that's how doubt can work against us, right? And suddenly, intellectually, we begin to question things. It usually starts circumstantially and then works through our spiritual and then gets all the way back down to intellectually if we're not careful with doubt if we're letting it work negatively against our faith. Brotherhood meeting, boom, you know, on fire for Christ. Maybe you get old, right? Old intellectually, solid as a rock. But man, it's been 40 years since I was baptized into Christ. Is this still good? (laughs) Maybe spiritually I'll start thinking about things like that. Or hey, circumstantially, I'm about to die. I'm about to face the creator. Is everything, you know, so so just think about how those things ebb and flow in your life and how that doubt moves in and out of your life. And let's look at a case study of John the Baptist. So John the Baptist was, uh, let me set the stage for you real quick. So he's in prison. Uh, he's, uh, he's confronted Herod for his sexual sin. So, you know, Herod was uh, messing around with his brother's wife. John the Baptist says, sin, you shouldn't do that. So uh, Herod throws him in prison. And we pick up the story in Matthew chapter 11. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse number 1, it says, And it came to pass when Jesus had made an end of com- commanding his 12 disciples, he departed thence to teach and to preach in their cities. Now, when John had heard in the prison the works of Christ, he sent two of his disciples and said unto him, Art thou he that should come, or do we look for another? Now, I'll just tell you, to John's defense, prison is probably the darkest, nastiest, most sinful place you could be. And that's today. Go back 2,000 years ago in the dungeon of a, of a palace No running water, no heat and air, dark, dingy, musty. John is there. Now also realize that this is same John the Baptist that had said this earlier. Now when John heard in prison, oh no, that's what we just read, sorry. So what's going on? Circumstances are forcing his doubt. He's the same one that said, look. The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world as Jesus came to him to be baptized. He's the same one that said, I have seen and I testify that this is the Son of God earlier. And now, doubt's creeping in. He's in prison. He's all by himself. It's dark. It's dingy. He's taken a stand that's likely going to cost him his life. Now, what is John thinking at this point? 
again, I'm guessing this literal kingdom on, is still in John's mind. He's thinking that Jesus is going to set up a literal throne. He's going to set up a literal Israel. And he's hoping all that gets done and Herod gets out of power before he gets his head cut off. Maybe. I don't know. Could be thinking that. But regardless of what all is going on in his mind, the one thing he does think is, man, is all this worth it? Is, what I, is the stand I have taken worth it? Is this, is, this, is this the Son of God? Is this the Lamb of God that takes away sins? Is this? So he sends his disciples to Jesus to ask him that very question. Now, what did Jesus say? What was his reaction? He didn't chastise John for his lack of faith or for his doubt. He didn't answer the question directly with a yes either. He didn't let John off the hook that easy. He doesn't rebuke him. He doesn't put him down. His answer is quite interesting. So what what should Jesus have done for John there? Inter- interesting question. So just thinking about if you put yourself in that situation, what was the what was the right answer? And Jesus answered and said unto them, Go and show John again these things which ye do hear and see. The blind receive their sight, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, and the deaf hear. The dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he whosoever shall not be offended in me. It's like, wow. I am ministering to the needs of the people. The blind, I'm curing that. The deaf, I'm curing that. The people that are hurting, those are the people that I'm helping. So does that does that do it for you? I'm not sure if it does it. I don't know what John's going to think, right? He's seen those miracles. He knows about that. I think it was exactly what John needed. I think it was John needed for to be told that I am the lamb that is taking care of the needs of my people. <clears throat> the timing of this all, this, this next part is really interesting to me. <clears throat> Beginning in verse number 7. And as they departed, so these are John's disciples that are carrying the answer back to John. Jesus began to say unto the multitude concerning John, What went ye out into the wilderness to see? A reed shaken in the wind? What ye went, what, but what went ye out to see? A man clothed in soft raiment? Behold, they that wear soft clothing are in kings' houses. But what ye went out to see? A prophet? Yes, and I say unto you, and more than a prophet. For it is he of whom it is written, Behold, I send my messenger before thy face, which shall prepare thy way before thee. Verily I say unto you, among them that are born of the women, there, shall, there is not risen a greater than John the Baptist, notwithstanding he that is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. So draw a line in the sand. The kingdom was established on Acts, in Acts chapter 2 in the day of Pentecost, A.D. 33, 34, 35, whatever, right in there. The kingdom was established. That kingdom is the church. Christ is reigning on the kingdom. 
there was not a man prior to that time greater than John the Baptist. Yet he's in prison doubting that this is the Christ. So is doubt a sin? Not if you use it right. Not if you act on it. That's what John did. He didn't let that, that doubt fester inside of him and take him, take him out of believing. He said, man, I've got this doubt and I need to get it fixed. So let me send some disciples to get me an answer that will cure that doubt for me. That will make me stronger. That will ultimately allow me to face the death that's about to be before me. Whether he knew that or not, I don't know. So doubt is a fickle animal that can help us if we do it right, use it right, or it can hurt us. So let's talk about dealing with our doubts real quick. Number one, admit your doubt, ask for help, face it, don't let it boil, don't let it fester, don't let it take you down the wrong road. Admit it, face it, get some help. That's exactly what John the Baptist did. Got this little lingering doubt, I'm going to send some messengers, I'm going to find out the answer. Number two, borrow some faith from others. And this one's pretty cool. Easy said, hard do. Use your brothers and sisters in Christ. Use their strength. Use their faith. And I think the last point there is really interesting. Faith, when you use it, compounds itself. It doesn't get used up. If I'm able to give you some of my faith, if I'm able to somehow make you stronger... It doesn't subtract from mine. It compounds. Now you've got some and I've still got mine. Maybe even more if I see that I'm able to help you. Faith compounds itself with using it. So borrow some faith from somebody else. If you've got a problem and you know that that this other person has an answer or has lived through it, borrow some from them. Act on your faith, not your doubts. So if I've got a doubt that tells me to go one direction, a faith that tells me to go a different direction, go the direction of faith. Be like Abraham and and leave your homeland. Be like Abraham and offer your son. Load the mule, put the wood on it, grab your boy and head to the mountain. Act on the faith, not on the doubt. He had some doubts there. He didn't know how his son was going to be saved. He was going to be raised from the dead. If he's going to stay his hand, he didn't know. He had some doubts. The Bible tells us he had some doubts. That didn't stop him from loading the animal and marching to the mountain with his son. David kills Goliath. Had to be some doubts there. Sow the good seed. Make it a choice. <clears throat> Doubt your doubts. Trust your faith. Give faith. You've always heard this. Give, give somebody the benefit of the doubt. Give faith the benefit of the doubt. Make a choice that my faith is more important than my doubt. It's a physical choice. It's a mental exercise. I I choose to go on the faith side and move forward. You can't camp out there. You can't camp. You got to keep walking. You got to keep moving. Keep going back to what you know is true. Paul said, I am persuaded He later said, I know whom I have believed. So there's some things you think. There's some things you hope. There's some things you know. 
Camp out on the things you know. Here's a list for me. I know God exists. I've seen the evidence of that. Romans chapter 1 tells it to me. I believe it. I've seen it. I trust it. I believe it. I believe Jesus is the Son. I believe God is good. I believe people matter more than things. I believe fame is fleeting. I believe life is short. I believe the Bible is true. I believe God is the creator. I believe this world is not my home. And I believe hard times are meant for my benefit. That's what I build on. Those are things I know. You may not know all of those things. There may be some doubt in some of those things for you. Flesh it out. Read the Bible. Figure out what you know. And the last thing I would like to tell you is there are some great verses in the Bible, some great places to camp out and study. One of them is Second Peter chapter 1. We studied this in our Bible study in Louisville a couple of weeks ago. How do we make our calling and election sure? Second Peter chapter 1 tells us how. The Bible doesn't leave us wondering how we're supposed to do things that it asks us to do. Second Peter chapter 1 goes through a list and tells us how to build our life to make our calling and election sure. The book of 1 John, an awesome book. Dusty preached on this, I believe, what, six months ago, I think, Dusty, where it tells us um, that you may know that you have eternal life. Well, how do you know? Well, that's in chapter 5 of 1 John. There's four chapters before it. Read those four chapters. Underline things in there that, boy, if I, that, that sound like things you should do, right? Well, if I do this, well, let's go on a little bit. Well, if I do that, boy, if I do that, you'll find that there are a lot of things. And again, this is stuff I didn't have time to put in, stuff I had to cut out. So you can speak your whole sermon on John, uh, on 1 John but First John chapter 5 says that you can know that you have eternal life. That means beyond the doubts. That means with your faith. Your faith can be so strong that you know it. Doubting Thomas. Things we can learn from doubt. Thomas went on, according to history, to preach the gospel um, through Asia and into India. Fox's Book of Martyrs says he was uh, run through with a sword in India, that that's where he died. I think historically or today, if you go to India, you'll see a lot of evidence that Thomas was there. A lot of buildings, a lot of churches, a lot of things bear his name or have his influence. Thomas ultimately ended up not being a doubter at all. Thomas ended up being a great apostle that gave his life for the work. Hopefully this morning something was said. There's something in there somewhere. There's something about doubt. There's something, some little aha, some little tidbit you can take away that you can go home and study and work on your doubt. We're going to talk more about that this afternoon. In fact, I've got homework this afternoon in the application for us. We're going to talk about a man who, very much like Thomas, had a legacy He had the benefit of finding out what his legacy was. And he had eight years to change it before he died, and he did. And so we're going to talk about that and how we might go about changing our legacy and what it is we're leaving behind, getting rid of our doubts. The lesson is yours this morning. If there's anything that the church can do for you, if you need prayers of the church, 
If you've uh, got some doubt that's just really been and you want to you want to talk about that, you want prayers for that, we, we stand ready to do that. If you'd like to obey the gospel, if you'd like to be baptized, if you'd like to be a part of that, that spiritual kingdom that was established on Acts, the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2, then we offer that for you this morning. If you would come as we stand and sing the song that's been selected.